<laughs> so, uh, hello. <laughs> um, I, I thought we'd just start by diving right in and with starting with the poem, if, if that's all right. Um, which is, um, For the Sake of Yes, by David James. It all comes down to yes. You're either in or you're out, willing or not, here or God knows where. It comes down to going out on a limb. If it holds, say, yes, what a view. And if it breaks, say, yes, I'm not a bird. Give the world your name for the sake of, yes, I'm coming. Yes, I'll try that. Yes, yes, that feels so good. Let the word no crawl back to its dark hole and starve. I, I want to, yes, eat and drink. Yes, breathe the cold mountain air. Yes, make love to you under a full moon in autumn. With yes, nothing is out of reach. Like a poor god fallen from the skies, conscious again, amazed at being in one piece. I plan to yes my way back to a heaven of one kind or another. I love this poem. <laughs> um, so this is my first time speaking in public since COVID. So it's, it's kind of a personal yes. Um, and thank you for inviting me. Um, in, in preparation for, for going out on a limb and, and being a guest teacher here, um, I, I read the C3 website and I um, watched several of the YouTube recordings of past teachings. Um, I, I always think that speaking should begin with listening and I, I wanted to see what you guys were interested in that, that I might have something to say about. Um, so I particularly enjoyed the, the IMC3 section. Um, it, was, it was really moving to hear those kind of deep personal stories that, about the kind of journeys that come from when we take Rilke's advice to live the questions and, and try to live our way into the answers. Um, that, that seems to be what we want to be doing here. Um, and, and I heard some of the same thing in, in Kent Dobson's last talk where he reflected on how he had grown and changed and become in his time as a teacher here. Um, and, and I laughed a lot <laughs> hearing him describe his attempts to explain what C3 is to people, right? It, it's a non-church church. Um, which, that was actually how I first heard of C3 because my friends Shannon and Charity referred to it as they're not a church. Um, and that's what made me think about this saying from hypnotherapy that I've used as my title, which is the subconscious doesn't hear not. And you may have noticed that this is not a question. Um, and I, I really did try to think about how I could frame it as a question. But what I found was that 
every time that I started with a question, I ended with answers. Um, and this may be my contrary disposition, but <laughs> when I started with a statement, I ended with questions, um, which seemed to me to be more in keeping with Rilke and, and also with what I know about C3. Um, so I am beginning with a statement. <laughs> the subconscious doesn't hear not. Um, and I'm, I'm going to use a kind of um, like a fairy tale structure to talk about it because in fairy tales, things always happen in threes. So I'm going to talk about three different ways that we can understand this statement. And then I'm going to end each of those with three different questions um, based on those different ways of understanding um, that I think can help us live into the, the sort of luscious yes of the poem. So does that sound good? OK, then. <laughs> um, the subconscious doesn't hear not. Hypnotherapists understand this pretty literally, like the subconscious literally doesn't hear not. So whenever you encounter a not or a no of any sort, you immediately reframe it in positive terms. Like instead of saying, I want to be a non-smoker, right, which the subconscious hears as, I want to be a smoker, <laughs> and causes you to think about smoking all day, and probably doesn't help you quit. Instead, you say, I want health. I want energy. I want to be able to breathe easily. So rather than focusing on what you don't want, you affirm what you do want. This is also really what problem solving is, right? Because when we teach problem solving, the first thing we do after identifying the problem is ask, so what needs to happen for this to change? That is, we turn the negative of the problem, the obstacle, into a positive that we can work toward. So I'm going down the road and I hit a lake. Problem. And instead of saying, I need this lake to not be here. We say, I need to be over there. And, and once I've turned it into a positive, um, I can start brainstorming about how to make that happen. Right? I, I might learn to swim, or I might build a boat, or you know, maybe I'll figure out how to walk on water. <laughs> and, and then, though, I'll, I'll keep going down the road toward where I want to go, right? instead of stopping. And this is a great way to deal with not, right? Just reverse it. Make it a positive. Like, face in the direction of what you want rather than what you don't want so you can figure out how to move forward. So here's my first question. If you don't want that, what do you want? Okay. Second round, another way to think about it. The subconscious doesn't hear not. So have you ever noticed that we most often seem to use the word not when there's some question about the thing that it's modifying, some ambivalence, some ambiguity? 
right? Um, like I say, that's not yours when you've taken something that I, I think of as mine. Um, or, or if someone asks me in the grocery store where the spices are shelved, I say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not an employee. Or if you suggest that I should jump out of a tree, I might say, I'm not a bird. Or when you're snapping orders at me, I say, I'm not a dog. Or if you're pointing out something you don't like in the way I'm talking about or behaving toward a person or a group of people, I might say, I'm not a racist. And I don't know if, if you're hearing that um, my not gets amplified, right? It becomes progressively more vehement the more I dislike the thing that it's modifying, right? I, I also emphasize it more when, when I think that you're going to insist on that thing. And I emphasize it more when I'm afraid of that thing. And you might also notice um, that if you're listening to the, the vocalization right, and, and even the vocalization in your own head when you're thinking about saying these things, um, that it isn't actually the knot that I'm emphasizing. It, it's the thing the knot is modifying. It's the thing I'm denying. That's not yours. And, and the more emphatically I deny it, the more emphatically what I hear is yours, dog, racist, because the subconscious doesn't hear not. And when we understand not this way, I think the most useful question is the one we were asking this morning, right? The question that, that recognizes the ambiguity, that, that interrogates the, the ambivalence, right? So, so I may not be a dog, but how am I like a dog? How, how is a dog like me? Right? We're, we're both, we're both warm-blooded mammals. <laughs> we both form attachment bonds. We both have love and curiosity and, and desires and, and social intelligence. And, and if I see that, if, if that's what I'm looking at, then, then I, I kind of become less vehement about not being a dog. And, and so I might, I might say to you instead, um, I'm a living being. I, I deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. And, and actually, so does a dog. Or, so here's a harder one. <laughs> a racist and I are both human beings, and deeply flawed human beings. We both sometimes act from selfishness, or bad habits, or implicit biases, that um, like a racist, I have been taught untrue things that I often haven't thought to question. And both a racist and I are still human, 
um, and capable of change. And, and like a racist, I often fear change. And I sometimes let that fear make me ugly instead of brave. I hate that. Empathy. <laughs> but it, it is another way to deal with not, right? Open the gates and, and let the enemy in because the enemy is often our own shadow. I think that this is what Carl Jung meant when he talked about outgrowing our problems instead of solving them. That, that this, this deepening, this growth, um, this is what happens when we encompass and incorporate the shadow. So here's the second question. If it's not that, what wiser, deeper thing is true that can hold both you and that. So third round. And this is like a fairy tale because this one's the best. It, at least it's my favorite. So <laughs> and Rod, um, I said I would talk about anatta. Um, there, is, there is a Buddhist concept um, that's called anatta, which usually translates as as non-self or, or no-self. And some forms of Buddhism take this quite literally, saying that there's no such thing as a self, that it doesn't exist. Um, but I'm going with a more moderate interpretation um, that, that kind of many Buddhists will say it sort of playfully. I'll say it as this idea that that the essence of the self isn't definable. And that many of the things that we think of as the self can sort of mislead us, can create confusion and suffering. That even calling it the self can be misleading. So it's the, the not self. <clears throat> because the idea here is that that we can only actually approach the self. And, and we can only do it through negation, by saying what it isn't, right? So the ego is not the self. The intellect is not the self. Emotions are not the self. Memory is not the self. And the more we say what is not the self, um, the more power and attention we give to this sort of elusive self, right? The more we say what it's not, the clearer it becomes to us. And we really can't define it any better than through these, these repeated negations that, that approach the self, but are ultimately not the self. So our appetite is not the self. Our history is not the self. The body is not the self. 
If you go back to the, the Proto-Indo-European root of the word self, um, it's actually, it's a reflective pronoun that just refers back to the subject. So it's basically this, right? Um, and that's what we're doing when we say anatta, not self. It's, it's like the Zen poem about how all these things are fingers pointing at the moon and not the moon itself, right? This, this isn't the moon, this isn't the self, but it, it points to the self. So in this way of understanding, the subconscious doesn't hear not. It's because not, it's like a filter, right? Or it's, it's like an arrow that, that points toward the essence of what it's modifying. And, and so our not becomes the protector of what it modifies. It, it marks the location of something that's vital. It, it points towards something sacred and it, it prevents it from being missed or misunderstood. It's, it's like the hedge of thorns around Sleeping Beauty, right? Like that hedge doesn't negate her because she's the center of the story, but it tells her true love where to find her and it prevents everybody who's not her true love from getting in. So, going back to my starting place, it's a non-church church, not a church. And I'm going to go down another etymology rabbit hole here. <laughs> you, you may know that the word church um, means the Lord's house, and that that Lord is from the Greek Kyrios, right? But Kyrios goes back to an even older Indo-European root that means like power or strength. Like it literally means to swell, right? Like that sort of mysterious life power that causes buds to swell in the springtime. So church, is the home of that swelling in us. It's that, that fullness, that expansion of, of what some might call our, our souls or our, ourselves. So doctrine is not a church. Scripture is not a church. A, a building is not a church. And this, this community here, definitely not a church. <laughs> um, because sometimes the subconscious doesn't hear not because the not is actually upholding what it modifies. It's, it's affirming and sanctifying what it modifies. Sometimes the not is holding a place for a vehement yes. So here's my final question. What is the yes that you're not is marking and affirming as sacred? Thank you.